Today we're going to talk about a lady who had a baby when she was 90. We're going to talk about a man who had a son when he was 100. We're going to talk about three men who visited this planet from another world. We're going to talk about the day when God had the last laugh. We're going to talk about the perverted sexual practices of the Sodomites. We're going to talk about the day when fire fell from the sky. And we're going to answer the question, who is El Shaddai? Today, Genesis continued. Would you please take your Bible? Thank you, St. Stephen. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. Genesis 17, please take your Bible because I want you to see the texts with your own eyes because there is a power in the reading of the Word of God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I want you to notice the expression God said, I'm El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. In the King James Version, it is translated, be perfect. But a perfect person in scripture is not a person, my friend, without some faults. <laughs> Abraham was a perfect man in God's sight, even though he stumbled because he was covered by the blood of Christ. A blameless person in the sight of God is an upright person, honest, truthful, obedient, courageous, and faithful. And so God said, I'm here and I have a message to give to you today. And I want you to notice this message. The Bible tells us that he was 99 years of age. In Australia, with the British and the uh, people from Jamaica and other countries that have had the British influence, we play cricket. Now cricket is unlike any other game in the world. A match of cricket can take a week to play. There's a man who stands with a bat, behind him are the stumps, and there is a bowler. And the person bowls the ball, his attempt is to get the batter out. And when a person is still in, they say something like this, he, it's 75 and not out, 99 and not out. And Abraham was 99 and not out. And God appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. I want you to notice this very important word, Almighty God, it is translated. This expression, El Shaddai, is found only in the book of Job and the book of Genesis. Most likely, both books, well not most likely, we believe that both books, being the oldest books in the Bible, were written by Moses. And this term, El Shaddai, is placed here by Moses, the servant of God, the same author, God Almighty. It tells us this, that things that are impossible to us are possible to God. And these chapters that we're going to study today are accounts of humanly impossible events. A woman having a baby at 90 and a man becoming a father 
at a hundred. But the Bible says, and Jesus said it, and it's said in the New Testament, the Old Testament, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Amen. Whatever you're facing today, whatever the discouraging circumstances, my friend, look up and worship El Shaddai, because he is the almighty God. I could tell you story after story today. I could tell you my friend Lloyd Willis, his parents had a great wheat farm. I could tell you that the time of harvest came and it appeared as though the whole wheat farm was going to be destroyed by this tremendous storm. And they went out and got down in the midst of that, of that uh, wheat field. And they prayed to El Shaddai and they said, God have mercy on us. Lloyd told me the story that a cloud came out of the sky rolling in the opposite direction, split that great thunderhead in two. People say, it's impossible. God doesn't do those things. Hey, the God we serve is El Shaddai. I think of the time when I used to ride a Harley Davidson motorbike, a red one. And uh, I can remember as a poor student going from farm to farm in the outback of Australia on the outer Baku where the churches are few and men of religion are scanty on a path seldom crossed save by folks that are lost one McGuinness McGee had a shanty and I came there one day with this Harley Davidson bike. I had no tools in case it broke down. I had no ability. I did not know what to do if it broke down. But I remember the day came when the motorbike was punctured by a long nail and I was a hundred miles from nowhere, hundred miles from the black stump. And uh, I got down in the dust beside my red Harley Davidson after I'd pulled out the nail this long and said, God, I do not have the tools, I do not have the wherewithal to fix this motorbike but you can keep up the tire. I was young and I had strong faith in God. I wasn't old enough to become cynical. And so I said, God, you're the almighty God, keep up the tire. This motorbike had wheels that had tubes in them. They were not tubeless tires. And I rode that motorbike for the rest of my vacation and the tire never went down. I cannot explain that except to say that God takes care of people on occasions, he intervenes, in a miraculous way. I can think of the occasions in Kiev. We have a lady with us today from Kiev, Valentina. I can think of the time when the Kiev government that doesn't understand religious freedom tried to close us down. And they said, you can't have the buses. We forbid any bus company to get you buses. You can't have a baptism. It seemed an impossible situation, but we had the buses just an hour before we needed them. We got other buses. God supplied them. I can tell you story after story how God is an almighty God. Now just a few days ago, I had an animated conversation with my friend and colleague, Pastor Norman Matiko. He's over there at present in St. Petersburg preparing for the largest campaign in the history of the ex-Soviet Union. We're glad to tell you today that the hall that seats 100,000 is ours, uh, that's costing 100,000 is ours. Uh, there was some doubt whether we could get it. We don't tell you these things, the problems we're having. But after the problems are solved, we'd like to tell you how things are going. And we're glad to tell you that this great auditorium that seats tens of thousands is ours. The contract is signed. We went to, but I'm going to tell you some of the problems, because I want you to pray to El Shaddai. 
There's one great commercial station for the whole of St. Petersburg, the city of, of six and a half million people. And when Pastor Matiko went to the television station, they said, we will not sell time to you because the Orthodox Church has told us not to. So we can't get on this great television station. But my friend, there is a national television station. And it broadcasts from Russia, right across Russia, from Moscow to Vladivostok. Pastor Matiko is down in Moscow now, negotiating to get on this national television station. So it's like uh, if you're going to run a campaign here in Los Angeles, having to advertise right across America. But God, my friend, is able. There is a great newspaper in St. Petersburg. It goes to every home. We went to sign a contract with them. Uh, and, and they said, we're glad to have your money. We need it here in Russia. And we're glad to take your advertising. But they said, we need to make a phone call, but everything's okay. We will you can advertise with us. But they came back off the phone and, and the people said, we've just spoken to the bishop, the Orthodox bishop, and he has said, don't sell them time, don't advertise their meetings. We don't want them to come here. Now, my friend, there are problems and there are difficulties, but my friend, who cares? The God we serve is El Shaddai. Amen. And I can tell you something, that paper was only printed in black and white. Who wants to advertise just in black and white? And there's another newspaper that's, that prints in four color, and they have come to us and they've said, don't worry about these other people and don't worry about that old bishop, but you, we, we'll advertise your meetings, you see. So I tell you, my friend, the God who can give a baby to an old couple can work miracles for us today. Let me tell you some of the challenges. The hall is 100,000. When we first went to uh, Nisni Novgorod, Bibles cost us 50 cents. Elder Matiko was with me on the phone. He said, Bibles are now $3.50. So when we want 30,000 Bibles, instead of the bill being 15,000, 30,000 Bibles now, more than 100,000. But my friend, we do not fear, and we are not filled with care or worry, because the God we serve is Almighty God. And El Shaddai can do anything. And whatever the problem in your life, He's here to help you. And he says, walk before me and be blameless, upright, honest, truthful, obedient, courageous, and faithful. I thank God today that we serve a mighty God. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Now please read on with me. Genesis, I've got so many stories to tell you today. Genesis 17 verses 2 to 9. I may not get through all this material, but that doesn't matter. You'll get it some other time. Uh, verse 2, I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. The word Abraham, the name Abraham means a father of of many nations, of many peoples. Verse 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an 
everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now listen, the Bible here talks about God making a covenant with this human being, just a man, a sinner. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and God says it is going to be an everlasting covenant. Now I want you to notice this because the Bible talks about the old covenant and it also talks about the new covenant and it also talks about the everlasting covenant and one day I want to talk about the covenants in this church. But my friend, when you study the scriptures, you will discover this great truth. As far as God is concerned, there is only one covenant, the everlasting covenant. The Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8, that before Jesus Christ was born, God revealed the everlasting covenant or the gospel to Abraham. Abraham wasn't saved by obedience to the law. Abraham was saved through faith in the blood of the everlasting covenant. And that everlasting covenant, my friend, also includes the rights of eternal inheritance. God said, I'm going to give you the land. If you come to Jesus Christ, and if you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, my friend, God is going to give you the land. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This land, renewed by the power of God, is going to become the home of God's people. If you are a child of God, and if you are a child of Abraham. Would you notice verses 9 to 11, where it talks about a sign of the everlasting covenant. Verse 9 and onwards. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it'll be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And so for the children of Abraham, the literal descendants of Abraham, circumcision became a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham, the father of the many. Would you please notice, come down to verse chapter 17 and verse 15. Chapter 17, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. You know what Sarai means? Sarai means my princess. But Sarah means princess. She was going to be more than his princess. She was going to be the princess of the world. Verse 16. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. <laughs> he laughed, said to himself, 
Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? My friend, I want you to notice this laugh. This laugh is not the laugh of joy. This is the laugh of unbelief. God says to him, I'm almighty God. You're going to become a father. You're going to become the father of the chosen people. And Sarah, this princess, is going to have a son. And she's 90. And Abraham, in the presence of God, fell on his face and was doubled up with laughter. <laughs> but God was going to have the last laugh. And there may be people who laugh today and they say, you'll never get the $500,000 that you need for St. Petersburg. And they're laughing. But I want to tell you, God is going to have the last laugh. Amen. Did you hear this? Now notice verses 17 to 19. Genesis 17. Abraham fell face down. So he should have too. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Now he was born thirteen years before. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. This is before he was born. God says, I'm going to call this boy Isaac. You know what that means? Isaac means he laughs. <laughs> God said, you've been laughing and you're never going to forget the laughter of unbelief because a boy is going to be born to you and his name is going to mean laughter. So every time you call his name, Isaac, you're saying laughter. Laughter, dinner is served. Come in and play. Laughter, it is time for you to have your bath. God would have the last laugh because my dearly beloved friends, the message from God to you today is this, what God has said, God will do. Don't laugh in unbelief because this God we serve is El Shaddai. Now, would you notice, come down to Genesis 18, where it talks about the men from another world. Genesis 18. Isn't, isn't this a wonderful book? Amen. Given to us by God through Moses. Now, come down, verse, chapter 18, verse 1 and onwards. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. 
Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. My friend, these men appeared as men, but they were more than men. They were visitors from another world. Verse 3 and onwards, he said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, notice it is a small L-O-R-D, that means my master, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then go on your way, now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Listen, my friend. Abraham was a man who had many, many servants. The Bible tells us he had hundreds and hundreds of servants, but a great man is never too great to do the work of a servant. Amen. Did you hear this? Yes. And if you're too big for a small job, the odds are you're too small for a big job. And this man, my friend, was God's man, and he was a big man, but he wasn't too big to do the work of a servant. Jesus said, I haven't come. I haven't come to be served, he said, but I've come to serve and to minister to you. You can show whether a man is a child of God or not by his attitude towards service and if he's willing to be the servant of all. Christ washed the feet of his disciples. Abraham practiced hospitality and entertained angels. That's why Christians ought to be the most hospitable people in the world. Would you notice verse 9 and 10? Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. That must have surprised him. Where is your wife, Sarah? Where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Listen to this. Look at the verse. It says, the Lord said. Those words are not in lowercase. They are in capitals. A big L-O-R-D. The word in the original, and we should seldom say this word. In fact, when I was in Jerusalem talking to a Jewish rabbi, who was copying the scriptures fastidiously with great care, I spoke the word, and he was aghast that I would say his name. The word in the Hebrew is Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. 
Almost inconceivable it is to realize that one of the men who stood with Abraham and talked with him face to face was El Shaddai, Yahweh, Almighty God. This tells me that Almighty God must be tremendously interested in the affairs of the human race. Don't you think? He's interested in you. He's interested in me. St. Petersburg is on my mind because it is on God's mind. He's more interested than you could ever be or I could ever be. He said, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Don't be hard on Sarah for overhearing the conversation. After all, she was a woman. And there the conversation between the men is going on. And in those days the men did the business and the women did not mix with the men when important matters were being discussed. Just like it is in Russia, Igor. <laughs> and so the ladies are at the bark and Sarah is listening through the tent flap. And it's quite a conversation. Verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? So Abraham has a serious look on his face because he is talking to God. He's not laughing. But Sarah doesn't realize that God can see through a tent flap. And God hears Sarah laughing inside. God knows what goes on inside us. Did you hear that? Some of you look almost terrified. <laughs> Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Oh, the mercy of our great God, my friend. But don't be too hard on Sarah. She was an old lady. And she had been praying for her son for a generation. The promise had been given a quarter of a century before and she had been praying. And God had come on many occasions and said, now you're going to have a son. But time had gone by because, my friend, while the purpose of God will be fulfilled, God is not on the time schedule that we are. And so God said, what's Sarah laughing about in the tent? 
She wasn't laughing out loud. So she said, I didn't laugh, Lord. And he didn't rebuke her. He said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. I heard you laughing, but I'm going to have the last laugh. And she became pregnant soon after this. Now read on verse 16 and onwards because this is a thrilling story because it introduces the part about Sodom and Gomorrah, dear hearts and gentle people. I want you to notice this. It's, it's a very interesting story indeed. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Can you believe this? Here is Yahweh Elohim El Shaddai, the great almighty creator God. And he and two of his attendants walk out in the dust and Abraham walks out with them. Then the Lord said, Yahweh said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations of earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Then standing outside the tent they've been walking a little bit and they stop and there in the heat of the day after they have eaten God talks to Abraham. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Here God uses the language of a human being. The men turned and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham was now going to have a one on one conversation with the Almighty. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 people, righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And so he takes upon himself the role of an intercessor, of a priest. And he says, you are the righteous God. If there are 50 people there, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the answer is yes. And God says, I won't destroy it for 50. Then he says, what about for 40? God says, I won't destroy it for 40. And then he says, don't get angry with me, God. What about for 30? He says, I won't destroy it for 30. He says, do not let your anger wax hot upon me. What about 20? He says, I won't destroy it for 20. He says, I'll speak only once again. What if 10 are found in that city? I wonder, friend, if he'd kept going. But his faith ran out and he said, what about 10? And the judge of all the earth said, I won't destroy it for 10. But the judge of all the earth could not find ten righteous people in Sodom. Listen, my friend. No person understands fully 
the value of righteous people in the midst of a city of evil. The wrath of God is turned back because of ten righteous people. Someone in the television industry said two weeks ago, Los Angeles is the new Sodom. And the reason the new Sodom has not been destroyed is because of the presence of the upright in this city. We do not need less churches, we need more. Amen. If only the wicked would understand that the greatest benefit in the world is the presence of the godly in their midst. So God says, I won't destroy it for ten but he couldn't find ten. Verse 33, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. Abraham returned home. Now come to the next great chapter, chapter 19. And oh my friend, what a story this is. I have seen the, the sight of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to tell you this amazing story. The two angels, the two messengers arrived at Sodom in the evening Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, you notice, my friend, we read a little while before that he pitched his tent towards Sodom, but now he was living in Sodom. If you pitch your tent towards Sodom, you'll end up in Sodom. Don't pitch your tent toward a friend. Now he's in Sodom. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. They were testing him. Notice the three do not come. Only the two come. The almighty God has now withdrawn his presence. But the two angels, the messages of God go down. And this man who started off so well, but who had a love for money, is now sitting in the gate because he's one of the elders of the city. And they say, no, we don't need to stay inside. We'll stay outdoors tonight. Verse 3, he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Sot, Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them, with the angels. They'd chosen the wrong people. This is a city that had given itself over to depraved sexual acts. Acts between men. Men with men working that which is unseemly. People say, does the Bible talk about these things? Read it in the Word. God loved those people. He loves heterosexuals. He loves homosexuals. He loves bisexuals. But God condemns perverted sexual practices. Amen. The acts between members of the same sex are an abomination in the eyes of God. I did not say it 
El Shaddai Yahweh Elohim said it. Mm -hmm. Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them, shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. You can do, with, do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, This fellow came as an alien. Now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. I will tell you, frankly, all custom aside, what Lot proposed to do with his daughters was a base, evil act. Oh, I know that these people of the Middle East have a great custom with hospitality. They would rather die than be disgraced by the act of inhospitality. They cannot imagine that once you come under the shadow of their roof, you come under their protection. And Lot was sworn to defend the two visitors. But why didn't he do it by saying, take me? But he said, take my daughters. But the God of all the earth is just and God was about to intervene. And God said, you've crossed the line. Evil men can go on for year after year, but my friend, there's a line that is drawn in the sand of eternity. Cross that line, and that's the end. Verse 10, but the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So the Bible tells us, Lot goes out, he talks to his sons-in-law, and he says, get out of here. There's fire coming. But the Bible says they were laughing too. They laughed too. This was not the laugh of just unbelief or lack of faith. This was the laugh of rebellion. And so Lot gets his daughters, the ones who are unmarried, and his wife. And they say, and he says, go, let us go. But then Lot says to the angels, look, I just can't go out in the wilderness. Let me go to a little city by the name of Zor. I've been there. I've seen the ruins of Zor. And the angels say to Lot, get out of this place because we can't do anything while you're here. Even the hand of God, my friend, cannot do anything while the people of God are there. What a, a marvelous truth. So they get out of the city. They go to the place that's called Zor down at the southeastern corner of the Dead Sea. And all of a sudden there's a roar from the skies. And the Bible says fire and brimstone sulfur. I've smelt it even after 4,000 years. 
I've gone to the cities on the southeastern corner of the Dead Sea and I've left, let the ash, not the dust, but the ash of a great fire run through these fingers. I have picked up the little pieces of human bone. I have seen the results of the fire. It happened. It is the truth of God. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Then he overturned those cities in the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She looked back, my friend, because she had never come out. She had come out in body, but she had never come out in soul. Her body was still in Sodom and her heart, her soul was there. Her body was out, but her soul was there. And she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I have seen the evidence. I have explored personally Bab Edra, where are the remains of 500,000 graves. I have seen it from this area. Great truths to live by, here they are. Amazing things happen when people take God into their lives. Number two, God's name, El Shaddai, assures us of his power to accomplish humanly impossible objectives for us. While God is love and long-suffering, he is still judge and evil will be punished. God will have the last laugh. And God, my friend, is immensely interested in you as a person. He says to you, I will be your God.